Let's pray. Jesus, would you be everything to us, for us? Because that's what you are. You know, without you, we're, we're nothing. We wouldn't have breath in our lungs. We wouldn't have life today. We wouldn't have grace as we know it. And even us right now, being here in this place, being able to, to worship a God that deserves all the worship, we're, we're unworthy. And yet, you let us do so. You, let, you choose us, Lord. We pray that we would see all the grace that you give us. We pray that we would see the, the grace in every moment. And everything that we get to do that is good, everything that is worth, you know, just being excited for, being cheerful for, that's from you. Every good and perfect gift is given from the Father. And, and Lord, we pray that we would just really, we would see that. We pray for, for eyes to see spiritual things. Pray for the Holy Spirit to understand holy things. And even this gathering, it, it doesn't make sense unless you're in this place. This gathering means nothing if you're not here with us right now. So we pray that we would come here and we would worship you because you are worthy of worship. We pray that we would see you and meet you. And God, we pray that with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength that we do these things and, and we would find you. And you would show up. For every single person right now, that we would be a little bit closer to you tonight, Jesus. Just a little bit closer tonight. Thank you so much for worship. Thank you so much for the word tonight. And we pray that you would do some amazing things tonight for each and every person. And we praise your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> All right. Lamentations chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible... Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one on the pew in front of you. If you grab the ESV translation, it's page 686. Um, the scripture readings, uh, we just piled the book of Acts, and the scripture readings for that um, were shorter. We're in a new series, the second week of this series through Lamentations, and we're going chapter by chapter now. So grab a seat, buckle up. I'm going to read. This is the second poem of these five-poem series of laments. Okay, second poem. And so I'm going to read 22 verses, every chapter. You all right, Mama? You need water? Okay. <clears throat> every chapter has 22 verses except chapter 3. So I'm going to read it through. Poems need to be read from start to finish, okay? So... One way to help you from getting lost as I read, and when I say lost, maybe you're following with your eyes, but you're starting to doze off. One way to help you when there's long chunks of scripture reading is imagine a movie in your mind, let the movie reel run, and, and try to ask the Holy Spirit to bring this text to life. So I'm going to read chapter 2, Wopule, and then I'll turn it over to you guys for a few minutes of, of observation, and then we'll... We'll continue our study. Lamentations chapter 2, the word of God reads like this. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. 
He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He's not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the habitations of Jacob. And in his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He has burned them like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy, with his right hand set like a foe. He has killed all who were delightful in our eyes, and in the tent of the daughter of Zion, he has poured out his fury like fire. Verse 5, the Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has laid in ruins its strongholds. He has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. He has laid waste his booth like a garden, laid in ruins his meeting place. The Lord has made Zion forget festival and Sabbath. And in the fierce indignation, he has spurned king and priest. The Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They raised the clamor in the house of the Lord. And as on the day of festival, the Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He fetched out the measuring line and did not restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart to, uh, and wall to lament. They languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and princes are among the nations. The law is no more. Her prophets find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They've thrown dust on their heads and put sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes are spent with weeping. And my stomach, it churns. My bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because infants and babies faint in the street of the city. They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city. As their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. What can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have sinned, seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. All who pass along the way, they clap their hands at you. They hiss. They wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? All your enemies, they rail against you. They hiss. They gnash their teeth. They cry. We have swallowed her. Ah, this is the day we longed for. Now we have it. We see it. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Their heart cried to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. 
Look, O Lord, and see. With whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. You summon as if to a festival day my terrors on every side. And on the day of the anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived. Those whom I held and raised, my enemy, destroyed. Lord, how do we read a text like that and not feel something? I mean, if we're really reading the Bible right now, if we're really reading this poetry as it ought to be read, if the Spirit of God is truly at work within us right now, it's not going to just be mere imagination and a moving of emotion. There's going to be a real stare because this is real life. This has really happened, and this can really happen. So Holy Spirit, wake us up if we're snoozing. Alert us, warn us, remind us. Grab our attention if you don't have it. And even in the midst of observation, wake us up. Teach us, Holy Spirit. Walk among the lampstands. It says that you, O oh God, will teach us. So teach us, please. I'm just a servant. I'm just a messenger. Help me to be faithful to your word. And help us as hearers, all of us, myself included, to hear the word of the Lord and be forever changed. Don't let a single soul leave this place unmoved. And we pray these things in Christ's name. And we all said, amen. We're going to take some time in chapter 1, and tonight we're going to take some time in chapter 2, because this is like what my sis said, this is the tough stuff. This is the dark days. This is depression. This is suicidal language. This is the kind where you're just like, it's so messy and ugly that our gut reaction is to just run away, hide, and pretend this stuff doesn't exist. That's why we have hobbies. That's why people do drugs. That's why people watch TV. That's why people just give themselves to stuff to drown out all the pain and blah, blah, blah. It's not really there. I'm confused, but I'll figure that out later. Let's just be positive and do you and I'll do me and everything will work out. That is a lie from hell. And the Bible says no. That's a real reality, and there's real reasons. And yes, there is a real Savior who will hold to his promise. But God knows all things, church. He knows us. He knows that we have more days where we feel like this, and we don't know what to say. You're afraid to pray like this at church because someone might think, wow, are you even a believer? You questioning God that much? But oh, I pray that as we continue to make our way through this book, that we would recover and discover the beautiful language of lament. This is how miserable Christians process pain. This is how you're going to have junk along the days, and you're all salty, and you don't know if we're sing, and you know they go to church, but this is how you can come and worship. And this will give God great glory. So please, amidst the, the lots of verses that we got to cover, again, I'm going to try and survey preach this book, right? I'm going to just kind of zoom out just a few points here and there. I'm going to take clusters and chunks and try to bring to light the things that the poet says multiple times. 
so that you and I tonight, we can hear and allow our hearts to just feel, learn, yes, gain knowledge, but feel what the writer is wanting to say. So, I don't know about you, I was never a big fan of poetry growing up. I was never a big fan of anything in school, literature growing up, which is, must be a, there must be a God that I'm a preacher. But um, Lamentations is poetry, and um, I don't have many poems memorized, but I do have a storybook poem that I'm going to recite for you as we get into chapter 2. You ready? It goes like this. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Why are you smiling? This is a sad poem. All right? Humpty Dumpty had a great... Oh, you know it too. Great. And all the king's horses and all the king's men, they couldn't put Humpty together again. But Humpty Dumpty, he prayed a great thing. He humbly asked, may I see the king? So all the king's horses and all the king's men, they picked up the pieces to help out a friend and they ushered him to the most powerful one. And they thought, oh, how great will it be when he's met the sun? You see, all the king's horses and all the king's men, they knew that Humpty would eventually mend. Because, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of a wall or how high or how great or how terrible the fall. Because all the king's horses and all the king's men, they all are broken treasures put back together by him. I know that poem because they, I don't recite poetry. But that poem comes from a storybook that we read our son every other night. It was his, one of his favorite storybooks for about two months. That's why it's just so ingrained in me. But here's the thing about poetry. We've read that to our son so many times. And he doesn't have the traditional version in his mind. He has the whole, and Humpty Dumpty prayed a great thing. He humbly asked. And oh, broken, anytime, but it's crazy. He's now more honed in on the brokenness of life. There was a week where he was like just drawn to everything that's dying. Look at the brown leaf. It's dead. Oh, you hear something fall into the kitchen. Is it broken? But you know what I love about that poem and what I love about poetry is it's awakening awakening our son to the reality of the brokenness of life. We are broken people living in a broken world. Why do we hide from that? You you know what I mean? And so even on my sister's observation, I think there's a sense in which we need to really let ourselves stop hiding from books like Lamentations or a third of the Psalms that are very dark or the prayer in Gethsemane. Guys, this is the tough stuff. My prayer is that like for my son, that we would become so much more familiar in heart with verses like this, that when the harsh realities, the rude awakenings of light hit and come, we have a theology, we have a thought. We have an emotion. We know how to process this. We have words for that. We're not going to be the kind of people in our church where broken people come and they barf all their drama on you and all you say is, well, God is good all the time and all the times God is good. Let me pray for you. Exactly. You should feel a sense of like, it should feel awkward because there's space and place for grief and sorrow. So much of this life, and I guarantee in a room this size, Right here, there's a lot of pain packed in this house that only God knows how deep those wells are. And there's a lot of us that are struggling this night to process that pain. So as we continue on in this dark chapter 2, 
There's just a cluster of observations I want to make. But much of it is about the righteous wrath of God. We're going to see that, and we're going to see that it's righteous. He's right to be angry right now. But that God is sovereign in the suffering. He had purposed this. He had said this would happen. And then we're going to actually start to see the lament come to the surface. And hopefully we can glean as much as we can and incorporate into our prayer lives. Chapter 1 was about the brokenness and being broken over the brokenness. I hope this past week you were serious about your sin. That's worthy of saying again, even though we said it last week. Sin's crouching at your door, you know that. Genesis chapter 4, it desires to have you. It's ready to pounce on you. James chapter 1, it's alluring and enticing you. It wants to, boom, get you like that. It wants you to taste the full weight of chapter 2. Sin hates. Sin is after us. And the, the devil, our adversary, he prowls around in a broken world knowing that. And he's looking for anyone to devour tonight. He don't want you to know how to talk and go to God when you're struggling in your sin. He doesn't want you to know how to relate to Jesus when you are in the rock bottom pit of your life. You know what he wants you to do? Curl up in a ball and hide. Go to your friends. Go to anyone or anything else. Just don't go to Jesus. Lamentation takes us there. We don't know prayer in this way. We want to know prayer in this way, Lord. So here we go. Chapter, one, uh, chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 1 to verse 8. We're looking at this chunk. And the, the observation I pray for us to see is the Lord has broken them down in his righteous wrath. The Lord has. Who has? The Lord. Verse 1. How the Lord you see what he's saying? If he's there present day, 586 or 87 BC, when the Babylonians are rampaging, he's seeing the Babylonians tear up the city. But you see what the poet sees? He sees that the Babylonians are the means by which all this stuff is happening, but he sees the greater, the greater hand at work right now. This is the Lord. And already, I guarantee off the outset of that, most people, if they're sitting in a sermon like this, they don't like that already. I don't like hearing that the Lord would do this. But this is what the Bible is saying. The Lord, in his anger, the Hebrew word, af, it's a picture of nostrils breathing fire. Like, the Lord in his fury. Hebrews 10.31 says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I'm telling you tonight, friend, church, brother, sister, you do not want to be at odds with the Lord our God. You don't. Hebrews, it's a fearful thing. Verse 1, in his anger. Verse 2, in his wrath. Verse 3, in his fierce anger. Verse 4, fury like fire. Verse 6, fierce indignation. Do we kind of catch the poet's picture? He wants us to see that and feel that. Friends, the fear of the Lord, it's a healthy thing. It's a good thing. He is a righteous and holy God. 
So sin must and will be dealt with. It will be punished without pity. The Lord has broken them down in his righteous wrath. Righteous because this is what they deserve. You can read a a text like this and tremble. Or you can read a text like this and be like, Oh, easy God, why are you so nuts for? Or you could read it more better and sound than in its context and fail to realize, oh, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in love because 40 years of Jeremiah, he was warning them. 200 more years before that, Amos was warning them. You stretch out back more centuries, Moses was warning them. In Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there's cursings. If you disobey God, if you rebel and run and cling to your sin, and God in his love and compassion in his word, warning after warning after warning, please Turn to me. Please come to me. Please let that go. Because Psalm 103 says this, the Lord will not chide forever. He's not going to keep the reminders and warnings coming. There's going to be a day when his anger will come out. So I read a text like this, and I don't think to myself, geez, God, you sold nuts. Take it easy. I think to myself, how did you not do this to me already? I read a text like this, and I realize Judah, if you're reading the Bible well, you read before Lamentations, you read Jeremiah, and you realized, man, you're so patient, God. How come, how come you haven't let all this hammer come down on me yet? I'll read a text like this, and I'll sound more like Psalm 103, verse 8 through 11, the Lord's merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger in forever. Verse 10, and this is so true for us this evening. I know you may be in a hard situation in your life right now. Things may be tough. Times is hard. I get that. But, oh, when you think about this in verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities if God treated you according to your sins how would you be sitting here tonight none of us would even be here this is why with all conviction and confidence when someone asks me how you doing bro how's your day and I reply honestly way better than I deserve I believe that with all my heart because I know what I deserve you see do we know what we deserve this evening All the things that we've said and thought and done, past, present, before this, right now in the pew. There is sin constantly abounding in our hearts. We're messed up people. And the better you can stare at that and realize that. Become like the psalmist. My transgression, my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone, Lord, I know I've done wrong, and I still still do wrong. See, guys, when you see that, oh, then, oh, then, does chapter 3 have so much more glory. But see, we're still here in chapter 2, so let's, let's stay here a little bit. Because I think the, the poet is wanting the reader to read this and respond by seeing 
that yes, the righteous wrath, the anger of God will come down. But look at the history of this people. God has been so patient and kind. So he wants us to read it and say to ourselves, don't you dare think he wouldn't do it to you. Don't you think, Chris, it wouldn't happen to you. This is why later in chapter 14, he gets on the prophets, the false prophets, because they came saying, you're not going to do nothing. Jeremiah chapter 5 and 6, it says, uh, I'll read it for you. This, they spoke falsely of the Lord, and they've said, he will do nothing. No disaster will come upon us. And all the people was, ah, ooh, 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 preach it, brother. That's the kind of preachers you want. Is that the kind of preachers we crave in this place? Tell us just what we want to hear. Jairus quoted that text, right? 2 Timothy 4. No, preach the word, Timothy. Be faithful in and out of season, Timothy. Preach the whole word of God, Timothy. Correct, rebuke, admonish. But there's a time, Timmy. People can come. They're not going to want to hear what, what the word of God says. They don't want to hear the warnings. They're going to want to gather around teachers to just teach what their itching ears want to hear. Just tell me all about my health, wealth, and prosperity. And that all is gravy. And let's just make some stickers and get some shirts and make a lot of noise in this place and just be positive. But just don't tell us about our, about our iniquities. Let's not talk about sin. Because um, that stuff's not, it's, God's not going to do nothing, really. And this is why this chapter exists. For the, for the poet to say to us in poetic form, he will do. Because 21 times in just eight verses, it said, the Lord has, he has, he has, he has. 21 times in four verses. 28 verbs of destruction. Oh my. This is a song to listen up to. The Lord has cast down. He has swallowed up. His wrath has broke down. He has withdrawn. He has burned. You see it? The Lord has done these things. So church, please, see that in shudder. May the Lord grant us a healthy fear. Don't mess around with your sin. The Lord will not chide forever. Verse 9 and 10. The gates have sunk. He's ruined and broken the bars. Kings and princes among nations. Law is no more. Her prophets find no vision. Elders just sit in silence. Here's a picture for us. Because of their sin, they are physically and spiritually broken. You see that? The gates, the bars, the external look of the city is all kapakai. Everything's hamajang. It's all bust up. The, the outer look of the city is representing what's happening inwardly. There's no more law. There's no more prophets. There's no more priests. That's where the law, the word of God comes to the people. They're physically and spiritually bust. Judah is socially, politically, and religiously ruined. You know when it talks about the princes and the kings? Their whole political turmoil right there. Ain't no lasting kingdom here. This is the picture that the poet is wanting us to see. And let us just hearken back and remember the result of the curse of sin. Verse 11 to 13. Let's look at this chunk. My eyes are spent with weeping and my stomach is churning. My bile is poured out because 
of the destruction. And then he, he gives us these details. And it's so, they, like, you just kind of read it and you don't want to read it again. But infants and babies are fainting in the streets. Can you imagine that? Imagine our little ones here tonight. Imagine them, all of them, the little ones, on a street corner, wailing with none to care. Imagine that. This is what the poet is feeling for Judah. So he's right to weep. See, church, when we become awakened to the reality of sin and what it's doing to us in our city and our town, you're going to be in the car, driving to work, driving to the mall, and you're going to see homeless people scrounging here. You're going to see drug deals going down here. You're going to see kids driving by, blasting all this kind, just hemorrhaging, messed up music. And you know what's going to happen to you while you're driving? You're going to cry. Do you cry? Do we cry for our city? Do we cry for Nu'uanu? Do, you cry, do we cry for our families? Praise God. Because God is giving you eyes to see the wretched reality of sin. The poet is seeing it and he's describing it and he's pouring out his heart and he's letting us in. Someone brought up an observation time and I'm thankful that they did. They said, um, our sin doesn't just affect us, it affects everyone around us. This whole chapter, Judah's sin, it's affecting everyone from infants to elders. Brothers and sisters, we must not be so foolish to think that our own personal sin is personal. No, it will hurt you. It will hurt your marriage. It will hurt your children. It will hurt your family. It will hurt your church. New Honor Baptist Church, if we are in sin tonight, hear wisdom's call. Let us repent. Verse 14 to 17, we'll take that chunk. But in, the, in, in 11 to 13, here's the point. To the poet, they appear to be broken beyond repair. You see that? His language, if you read it, he sounds like a guy that's saying, well, can already. You ever been there? You ever feel that? You ever feel that about your life? There's just so much mess. There's so much entanglement of sin that you think to yourself, you're convinced, no can already. I am beyond redemption. You ever been there? You know what's crazy is lamentation leaves a space to actually verbalize that. I want to say that again because I, I am hurting for you who you think in your prayer life you have to sound pretty all the time. You got to sound and look perfect. Father God, I come to you this glorious morning. And blah, 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 blah. So hear my petition and my plea. In Christ's name, we pray. Your holy name, glorious majesty name. Amen. And you think you'll be hurt because of your many pretty words. I love lamentations. I love Psalm 13. I love these things because more of the time, don't we feel this? And it's okay to express your grief to God in a place where you just tell the Lord, I, I don't know. 
I don't know if can, God. Oh. Verse 14 to 17, he kind of brings them back and he says, remember your prophets that you listened to all the false deceptive visions? Yeah, now all your enemies, they're, they're taunting you now. Well, here's the thing, verse 14 to 17, they, Judah, ignored the many warnings of God's word and now are experiencing the many consequences of it. They ignored the many warnings of God's word and now they're experiencing the many consequences why do I say that? Because he says already right there, the Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, right, which he had commanded long ago. Verse 17. This is not new to them. They were told time and time again. Jeremiah came. You never like listen. Like listen to the other guys. I sent all my other prophets before. I gave you the Tanakh. I gave you the scriptures. I gave you all this, all these warnings, all these signs. And you know, like, listen. You know, when you're driving down the street and you see the, the signs. I don't know about you, but when I'm driving and I'm in my right state of mind, I am thankful for the signs that do not enter. Oh, the one year I was living in Indiana, I was flying down a four or five street, just is early in the morning, so it's dark, so I was just like flooring it. Forgive me, Father. And then I, in the corner of my eye, I see a one-way sign, but it's pointing the opposite way. And I'm like, oh. And then I see two massive headlights on the left and the right. Boom, two buses fly me. In that moment, when I saw the, the, the stop sign telling me I'm going the wrong way, I wasn't like, that's such a, that's such a judgmental sign. That's such a rude sign. That's so offensive. One way, one way. I'll show you the way. I didn't act like that towards the sign. Everything in me was like red light, red light, warning, turn around. Headlights coming. Danger. You see, it's crazy though. By nature, we don't like warnings and we don't like signs. We don't heed wisdom's call, Proverbs 8. We're like Proverbs 6 and 7. We just do what we like. But Proverbs 8 is saying, does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? Church, Judah has ignored the warnings of the word of God. And this is the outcome. So this, the, the, the admonition, the, the preaching point is clear to us. Heed the warnings and the signs of the word of God. Welcome it. Do you welcome warnings? Do you welcome correction? Do you want to be told by God's word you are wrong? You need to change. It's called a repentant heart. Or will we remain stubborn and obstinate and just think to ourselves, he's not going to do nothing anyway. Look, I've been doing just fine before this. And, you know, life is okay. Not the greatest, but it's not that bad. But, oh, there will be a day. The day of the anger. The day of the wrath. This is picture echoing to the day of judgment. All of us, church, Romans 14, we will give an account to our God. There is a day coming. Sin will be punished. And if you are in your sin, that wrath will come down on you. You must retreat. You must return. You must get into your Bible and wrestle with the questions. Who can save me? 
they ignored the warnings. Are we ignoring, ignoring God's word tonight? Oh, my heart hurts. I hate it when I don't heed the warnings of the word of God. I'm so stubborn. I'm so knucklehead. How many times I got to get spanked, dude? But God is so gracious and kind. He is, guys. He's so patient with us tonight. If you are entangled in sin tonight and your life does not look like chapter 2, it's a reminder to you that you have a gracious and loving and merciful God. And it's one more reminder, one more sermon saying, come to me. Return to the Lord. You are broken. Well, guess what? I made you. And I can fix you. So where are you going, bro? Come here. Hear wisdom's call. Let's wrap it up. Two more things. Verse 18 and 19. Look at the language there. Heart cried to the Lord. Tears streamed down. This is big, though, because it's now Lady Zion is beginning to break. Their, their heart cried. Not their religious prayers. This is something's happening to Lady Zion. There's a stirring in the heart. Maybe it's happening to you tonight. There's a stirring in your heart. And everything within you is crying, Yahweh, Abba, Father. This is a huge phrase, their heart cried to the Lord. It's so big because whenever in the Old Testament it says they called upon the name of the Lord, they're calling upon Yahweh. What does that mean? They're hearkening all the way back to the covenants, all through the scriptures. Yahweh is the one that said, I'm going to provide the seed of the woman to crush the serpent. Yahweh is the one who's going to establish a kingdom. Yahweh is the one who's going to have his son live for. Yahweh is the one. So when they call upon the name of the Lord, they're not just saying general Lord. They're saying, you're the one who said you would save us. And God, I don't see how I'm getting saved tonight. The whole seed of the woman thing, all the, kill, all the children are dying. So how's that going to happen? Your whole kingdom, everlasting kingdom, the temple's not, everything's all cup of kai. I don't see how you're going to keep your promise. But they're calling out. That's when they say, and they cried out to Yahweh. That's what they're praying. That is the very essence of prayer. It is calling upon the name of the Lord to come through on your promise. That's why prayer is not merely talking to God. That's why when the disciples talked to Jesus, it wasn't recorded as prayer. You ever think about that? Prayer is a heart cry to the God of our salvation. You're in brokenness tonight. You're in sin. You're entangled. It starts right here. Boom. Call upon the name of the Lord your God. And we now today know his name is what? Jesus Christ. Call upon him. He is real. He is really real. Their hearts began to cry out to the Lord. This is an exciting beginning in their lament. And then the poet comes in. He just kind of encourages it. Verse 19, 19. Yes, arise. Cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night, watches. Pour out your heart before the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands. He's like, yeah, I see it. Okay, keep it coming. Keep praying. Here's the point. In their pain, they were led to pray. But I hope that you understand what true prayer is. It's calling upon the name of the Lord, the one who saves. You plead the blood, Christian. All the king's horses and all the king's men, they can't help me. 
No one and nothing can save me from my, my brokenness. I need to see the king. I need to see the king tonight. Oh, if your heart cries out for King Jesus, you're there. You're right there. Repent of your sins. Place your faith in Christ. He is the Lord. And he will save. But this is the tension that the, 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 the prayer, the, the, the Judah is in. That they, They're doubting this. The poet is just wrestling because he knows this to be true of Yahweh. And that's why verses 20 to 22 is so key. Because he says, they say, now look, O Lord, and see. And then they ask a series of questions. They're calling upon Yahweh. They're referring to the covenants. They're calling on God to do and be who he says he is. But look at what comes out of their mouth still. I love it. It's just so honest. With whom have you dealt thus? You, this is us, God. We're your covenant people. Who else have you dealt with like this? Why are you doing this to me? You ever pray that? It's okay to pray that, you know. Don't take that back. That's real. Should women eat the fruit of their womb? Exactly. I see your faces. That's horrific. But this is history. This really happened. Can you imagine the babies being divided and eaten by their mothers? It's the most grotesque thing you can imagine. But this is real. And the, and, and the, and the poet is praying. He's like, is this how it should be? And if they're, if they're calling upon Yahweh, you see how this connects to the covenant? The seed of the woman is being destroyed. The children being eaten up, should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary, the most holiest of places. Your holiness is being profaned. The seed of the woman is being attacked. The seed of the word of God is being no more. He's the, the poet in real language. In their lament, here's the last point. They questioned and doubted the covenant and character of God. In their lament, they're questioning. You know, for about a decade, I've done, the, I've done youth ministry, and I've sat with teenagers, and I've talked to young people, and you know what I appreciate the most is when they ask honest questions, like for real kind questions. I don't believe. I don't get it. How come? That's messed up, right? And I'm like, yeah, right? Let's look at this. But this is the type of language of lament. They're calling upon Yahweh. They know him to be their covenant God. But God the children and God the temple, how come? You can keep your promise or what? I read my Bible. I know the attributes of God. But I'm just, wonder I'm just I don't see it. Friends, family, this is so much of what lament is. It's the beginning of lament. It's looking to God and it's acknowledging really where you're at. And there's space to just ask those questions and there's no answer. That's why I love the songs that were picked out tonight. Such good songs. Well done, guys. Such good songs. 
They're all laments, unanswered questions. But here's the thing. We're in the presence of God. One of the beautiful things about lament, what separates crying, worldly crying, and biblical lament is we're all broken people in a broken world. We all got dramas. We all got pain and issues. But here's what the Christian does. I take that pain and I get into the presence of God. Here's the thing. I wonder if many of us who are in pain tonight, for whatever it might be circumstances of life, which is also a ripple effect of the curse of sin, or your sin inwardly or outwardly, you're physically just, you got cancer or something, there's, there's, a, there's whatever, there's a myriad of, of reasons why you could be in pain tonight. There's one of the two things you'll do. You'll take all that and you'll run away from God and get hardened and bitter and you'll give God silent treatment. I don't want to talk to you. I'm done with you. I'm done with this. I ain't going to pray. I can go to church. Church. And you sit, and you get hardened, and hardened, and hardened. Oh, how I pity. Please, if that's you, I'm begging you, stop giving God the silent treatment. Oh, he's the very one you need to go to. Go to him with all your questions, all your confusion. All your wonders. I, I am such a confused, troubled youth. That's a prayer that I prayed before in my journal. I'm just reciting it to you. I'm such a confused, troubled youth. I'm a broken boy, and I don't know what to do. I'm so glad I have pages of prayers like that. Because God was there. Psalm 51, we'll close on this verse. It says this. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. See that? This is David as he's confessing and just getting real and raw before God. But he says this. He learns this about God in his brokenness, bringing that pain to the Lord. A broken and contrite. The Hebrew word is a shattered jar. If I threw a jar on the ground and it shattered, what would we all do? We'd run for the broom and sweep it up and throw it where? In the trash. Why? Because no can. Power ready. You know what God does? Give that to me. I will not despise it. What's the opposite of despise? That's right. Give me that. I love them. Everyone else in the world will look at you and say, you're too far gone. God says, I came to save the uttermost. Everyone else in the world will look at you and not want to hang with you because you're just too much. But God says, I'm right here. I want you. I want all your broken pieces. Come here. Come here, my child. I'll put you together. I'll redeem. I'll restore. I will save. That is the testimony of the Christian. That's why when I come to church and I see all you, I'm just amazed. Because you all bust up like me. <laughs> but you're beautiful now. You're a new creature. The old has passed, the new has come. Is that not our song? That's the gospel we preach. I love this stuff. I love Jesus.
We love Jesus. In the end, and this is where the chapter stops and lingers, isn't it crazy? The poem ends with a bunch of questions with no answers. That may be, very well may be a lot of us tonight. You have situations in your life that you got a lot of questions, but you don't got a lot of answers. And I want to let you know from the word of God, that's okay. That's okay. You take that pain, but you, you bring it into the presence of the Lord. That's why I love my devotions. I know what your devotions look like. Mine are all messy. They're really loud. It's not really quiet time. It's more like loud time. Get some moments of quiet, and then it's like, ah, you know. That's what my devotion looks like and is. It's just I bring my pain into the presence of God. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't can, but you can, so please do something now. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart? How long shall my enemy be exalted? How long? Do we pray like this, church? In your current state tonight, I want, I pray, and I encourage you to learn how to lament like this. This is just the beginning of lament. This is not, it's not just you just barf and that's it. As we get through the book, we're going to see there's a lot more to lamentation. But this is the beginning. And I don't even know if a lot of us have just tipped our toes into this type of prayer life. But I want to encourage you and challenge us tonight to cast all your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. To come to him, all you who are weary and heavy laden, he'll give you rest for your soul to be anxious in nothing but in everything. Prayer. What do you think those prayers sounded like? Lament. Use anxious. You're worried. You're upset. You're angry. You're pissed. Whatever it is you're going through. But pray. Pray. Take your pain and get into the presence of God. And one more applicational encouragement. Welcome warnings. Welcome signs. Welcome the wisdom of the word of God. Let us become a teachable people as we, as we lament. But I'll pause there because I'm, in there. I'm already dripping into chapter 3, 4, 5. So let's learn to go to God in our pain. And let's just linger there. It's not always, it's not, it's not a comfortable place to be, but it really is the best place. That uncomfortable feeling of being in God's presence in pain. But really realizing he's really there. It really is. There's nothing like it in this side of grace, man. You just know people who just give really good hugs. You know what I'm talking about? You just hold on to them just like 30 seconds longer. They're trying to get away. Lament. If you want to experience a hug from the Holy Spirit, oh, the prayer of lament is what you need. Nothing like it. Let's pray. King Jesus. As we ready our hearts to sing one more time tonight, let us learn the prayer of lament. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of sin that may be we're storing up in our hearts right now. And Romans says, oh man, If you don't repent, 
You're storing up wrath for yourself. Lord, a lot of those things, they, they need to come out tonight in prayer, and they need to come out in, in very real language, very real words. You know all things. You know exactly what every individual, you know exactly what our church is, is struggling in right now. And we as a people and we as individuals need to call upon the name of the Lord. We need to come to Christ. We need to realize that you're the only one who can save. So please, I love this saying, Lord, by Christopher Wright. He says, God has broad enough shoulders for all of us to cry on. And he's got a big enough chest for us to beat on. So please, let all of us this evening come to you, weary and laden, filled with anxiety, and just throw it all on you. And just be with you. Teach us to pray like this. Let that happen right now in this, in this space. So as the Spirit of God leads us as we close in song, Please, even in the middle of verses and stuff like that, pray, lament, sigh, moan, groan, whatever it is your heart just needs to express right now. Do it now, and let's do it together. Perhaps you just need a good cry, and that's just fine. So lead us, Holy Spirit, in Christ's name we pray.
Amen. Let's continue to cast our cares upon the Lord, for He will sustain us. Go in peace.